again, I'm very grateful. Uh, anytime Pastor Tim gives me the opportunity to fill the pulpit for him while he's away, I thank you guys for your um, patience with me. I want us to get started this morning. I, wanna, I want you to think about, before we, before we get into the text, what, um, how many of you came in and opened up your bulletin and looked at the title of my sermon and wondered, I wonder what story he's going to tell? Will anybody raise their hand and say, yeah, I kind of had that thought? Okay. Well, here's the big secret. I'm not going to tell you a story. Does that mess with your head a little bit? What I want you to do is rather than look forward to the story, I want you to think about what your brain did when you saw the words, let me tell you a story. You immediately anticipated a story. You know how, you know those moments when you're in the movie theater and you go in to watch a movie and you're pretty sure it's going to be good and you go in and sit down and you got your popcorn and you're just kind of sitting waiting on the movie to start? You're kind of sitting there going, I'm okay, I'm ready, get on with it, I'm ready for this to start. That's kind of the feeling that goes along in your mind, isn't it? When somebody says, let me tell you a story. What, does the, what do the words once upon a time do in your brain? Doesn't that sort of set you up? If you hear the words once upon a time, your brain automatically kicks into a mode to receive a great story. Because that's the beginning. Any great epic story starts with once upon a time, right? When, when you hear the words, let me tell you a story, or once upon a time, that is a signal to your brain that somebody's about to tell you a great story. Hopefully it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of y'all are going, well, it may not be so great. Um, but what makes a great story? Do you, I, I want you to think about the way stories have such a huge impact in our culture and the way we live. Do you, do you realize that? Have you ever thought about what kind of role stories play in our culture as people. It's a pretty big impact. And if you're thinking, well, I don't really know where you're going, Eric. What are you talking about? I'm going to throw out a few epic stories. Now, there are stories and then there are epic stories, okay? I want to throw a few out, and I want, I want you to just raise your hand if when I say the title of the story that your, your heart, your mind just kind of goes, ooh. You ready? Lord of the Rings? Anybody? Okay. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Awesome. Okay. Star Wars. Yeah. There you go. Another. Those are two epic stories. Huge, huge stories. Um, Harry Potter. It's okay. You can raise your hand. He just said Harry Potter in church. Um, Big story. Big, huge, uh, epic story. How about the Chronicles of Narnia? Any C.S. Lewis fans? Awesome. Great, incredible story. Um, Twilight? Go ahead and admit it. Just raise your hands now. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't know anything about that story, but I hear it's pretty big. The Hunger Games. Thank you. Yeah. All over the place. That seems to be the one that's really captured everybody right now. That's the one everybody is into. All oh, the Hunger Games, Hunger Games. I gotta watch the movie. You gotta read the books. I've read all the books. When's the next book gonna come out? Everybody goes nuts over the Hunger Games. Um, anybody familiar with Karen Kingsbury and the Baxter family? Any ladies? Yeah, it's mostly ladies, of course. Great epic story. And then um, if, if none of those ring a bell with you and you're kind of like, well, I don't, I'm not a fan of any of those. I didn't raise my hand at all. Just pick anything you watch on TV. 
What is your story? What is that show that it doesn't matter? What is going on in your schedule? You are going to be at home to watch it because you can't miss an episode because you have to know what happens next. And they always put that little cliffhanger at the end of each episode where you really know, don't know what's going to happen. Everybody has got their thing because there is something in us that really attaches to a great story. So what makes a great story? There are great stories and then there are not so great stories, of course. Um, Well, there are very easily five characteristics of what makes a great story. And I I don't have any, this is not the spiritual part, but I don't have any notes, anything like that to go with. So you just write down whatever... Whatever you hear that the Lord said, hey, that's good. Write that down. Every good story, first of all, starts with a setting. It has to be set in a particular environment, particular place, particular region, time period. Great story has to have characters. Um, People to tell the story, interact with the story. And every great story has a conflict. And usually the conflict in its most basic form, is communicated in a hero versus villain type scenario where there's always a problem. There's always a crisis. The hero is called upon to save or fix the crisis. The villain is there to stop the hero from taking care of the problem or crisis. And there's a battle. And then the conflict in a great story always builds to a climax. There's always a peak in the story. And most of the time, the climax of the story is where the hero and the villain battle each other in this epic battle. And the villain is defeated by the hero. That, that's how the once upon a time, happy ever, happily ever after stories go. The villain and the hero collide. And the villain is defeated. And then there's a resolution. What happens to the characters once the climax has reached its peak and the conflict of the story has been resolved? What happens to the characters? What what is the result of this epic peak climactical battle that goes on? And you can take any of those stories that I mentioned, any, any television show that you watch, any great episode of anything, and you'll find all of those elements. If you go home and sit and watch your next episode of whatever it is that you love to watch, you can you could write down those five things and sit and find it in that episode. Everybody loves a great story, and it doesn't really matter what age you are. Sometimes we think stories are for kids, but they're really not. So why do stories affect us the way they do? Um, I think there's several reasons that it doesn't matter what age we are. Um, one thing is that stories hold our attention. That's why uh, stories hold your attention. And that's why people can go and watch The Dark Knight for three hours and never go to the bathroom. Isn't it true? If you're in, if you're in it, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to go to the bathroom. You're not going to go get popcorn. That's why they have to promote all that stuff at the beginning of the movie to make you hungry to get you to go get it before because they know a lot of people aren't going to get up and go after because you're in the middle of the story because you're engaged. And it holds your attention. What else are you going to sit for three hours in one place and and not take your eyes off of? It's not me on Sunday morning, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
I didn't hear amen. <laughs> I guess I can preach for three hours then. If there's, a, if there's a, your show and you know what your show is, it's in your brain, when the two-hour season premiere comes on, you're going to sit and watch the whole thing. When the two-hour season finale comes on at the end of the season, you're going to watch it all. And you're not going to get bored. Stories also impact our emotions, number two. Stories are written to impact. They're not written to give information. There's a, there's a difference. If you just want to give information to somebody, then you're going to give a speech or you're going to give a report or whatever. But if you want to impact somebody, you're going to take the information that you want them to have and you're going to write it into a story. Then it's going to have impact. Number three, they help us remember. Principles and precepts stick when told in the context of a great story. All of us can think about, as we were growing up, our parents telling us stories for the purpose of teaching us lessons about life. Uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf is a great example of that. And you remember that concept because it was told to you in the context of a story. And another thing about great stories, they don't get old through repetition. doesn't matter how many times you hear them. doesn't matter how many times you watch them. They don't get old. Has anybody been to Bargain Hunt yet in, in West Rome? Know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, if you go in, it's this, it's this great store where basically anybody that's ever ordered anything online or brought something back to a store, this place collects it and sells it really cheap to people like me who, who and, and Kim who go and love it. Um, Kim loves it more than I do, I'll just admit. But when we go, um, when we go there, there's one place that I always go. In the back of the store, there's this big bin full of DVDs. And there's actually more than one. There's about four of these. And they're just packed with DVDs. And they're stacked under the bottom. And they're all on the top. And I know that I can kill a good 30 or 40 minutes in that store Uh, while Kim's looking at what she wants to, if I just go back to that corner and go through the DVDs. And it's a great deal. I'll just tell you all, if you don't know the secret, here's the secret. If you find a lot of DVDs that you want, they're really cheap. If you buy 10 DVDs at once, you can get them for $20, which is $2 each. Is that crazy? Does anybody else get excited about that? (laughs) That's awesome. And so it's kind of my ritual. We go in there, so I go back to the DVDs. And for some reason... Every time we go there, we've been there four... I've been with Kim more than four times, but four times that I've actually gone and bought 10 10 DVDs. So I've bought, um, what, about 40 DVDs um, since the store's been open and spent about 80 bucks on them. Now, if you go through all 40 of those DVDs, are those all movies that I've never seen before? Of course not. No. Maybe 10 of them are ones that I've never seen. But the reason, as you're scanning through that bin, when I see a title, there are certain titles, certain stories, because those are just stories in a box, aren't they? I see a certain story, and that title pops up and two, for two reasons in my mind. Either once I've already heard and engaged myself in that story, and it impacted me, and so it causes me to react. Oh, there's that movie. I love that movie. Or I've heard somebody else talk about how great it is and I've never seen it before and I think, oh, there's that movie. That's supposed to be a great story, but I've never seen it before, so I'm going to get it. Stories impact us. 
and they don't get old through repetition. This is why that's why that our kids can watch The Lion King 50 million times over and over and over and not get tired of it because it's an epic story. A great story can be told over and over and over and over and never get old, even to the people hearing it. So Jesus understood the power of a great story. What was Jesus' number one primary method for teaching people about the kingdom? Parables, which are stories. Parables were stories that Jesus told in the setting and the culture that he lived in to help people understand the truths of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus didn't speak in theological terms. He didn't speak in um, rhetoric that the people could not understand. Jesus, when he taught about the kingdom, he talked about the birds and about flowers and about kings, servants, fathers, sons, shepherds, sheep, lost treasures. Those are the kind of things that Jesus told stories about. I want us to look in Psalm 78, and I want us to read the first eight verses here together and see how this psalm speaks. Verse 1, Psalm 78 says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in what? Parables, stories, right? I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Lord, let Your Word speak in the way that it's already, that You have already determined that it wants to speak this morning, beyond me or anyone else. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in this psalm, what we discover is that storytelling was actually commanded by God of his people. It was the mode by which his greatness was going to pass on from generation to generation to generation. Now, these days, we have lots of platforms. We have um, televisions, movies, iPads, Internet, every, everything you can think of to be able to tell stories. But in this day, the primary mode of storytelling was by fathers passing on the stories to their kids and to their sons, and then their sons passing on their stories to their sons, to sit down and tell a great story. And this was really important, especially in this psalm. 
And there are other places in the Old Testament where God gave specific instructions to his people. Talk about me to your kids. Tell the stories of me to them. Because we, I don't want them to forget it. Why is it that he, wants, he made such a big deal about telling stories about him and families? Well, look at, look at verse 7 and 8. Everything is really wrapped up in that. In the beginning verses, he talks about how I'm going to reveal myself and these stories, the stories from old, the stories from now, so that the next generation will know. Look at verse 7. Why does God require this of his people? So that they would put their trust in God. So that the children would hear the stories of God's greatness and then they would respond by putting their trust in him. Don't we tell our kids the stories of God because we want their faith to embrace him? You want to pass your faith along to your kids. And God said you do that by telling my stories. Number two, he says so that they won't forget his deeds. So that they won't forget what he's done. Man, we are are hearing, we are so full. Our culture is so saturated with stuff in our brains. I can't remember what I did yesterday sometimes. I mean, serious. He says, repeat the stories and tell them to your kids over and over and over so that they won't forget the things that I've done, so that they won't forget who I am. In number three, in verse seven, but would keep his commands so that our kids will be faithful. How in the world are the generations to come going to know what God expects of them and how the stories of the people that have gone before can help teach them how to follow after God if we don't tell the stories to them? And then verse 8 is the, is the last reason outlined here, and, and it just kind of stabs my heart so that they would not be like their forefathers. Some of your translations may say so that they won't be like their fathers. Stubborn and rebellious, with hearts not loyal, and spirits not faithful. I think there's a big problem. I've, I've been here 11 years. Is that crazy? You haven't gotten rid of me in 11 years. You probably had lots of chances, but... I'm still sticking around. 11 years here, uh, I, I got to serve in ministry three years uh, prior to that. And I'm, and I'm seeing a pattern that really disturbs me. And, and this observation is what really kind of put this message on my heart to begin with. Um, way too often in, in trying to teach kids, teach students here at church, um, in my teaching make a reference to one of the great stories of God in the Bible and say, and be teaching if I want to talk about, you know, faithfulness and, and determination and, and resolve, I may, I may throw out a name like Daniel. So you guys remember Daniel, don't you? And I get blank stares from the majority of kids. Who's that? You're kidding me. You guys don't know who Daniel is? There might be some people here this morning going, I don't know who Daniel is. You know, the only reason a kid won't know who Daniel is is because nobody's told him the story. That's all. 
Because that's an amazing story. And I'm pretty sure when you hear the story of Daniel, you remember it. Because who writes a better story than God? Come on. Is there anything? Is there any movie or script or book better than what God has written? Say, what went wrong somewhere? Has the church been irresponsible in the way that we're teaching our kids? Can the church sometimes get caught up in the entertainment value of what we do and get more excited? Can we in student ministry get more excited about what kind of lights and music and stage and stuff that we have than, than what we're talking about? Yeah, we can. Very often. Can even in children's ministry we get caught up in the, in the glamour of, of our attractiveness and not focus in on what we're supposed to really be passing on to our kids? Of course. The church can carry a little bit of responsibility for that. But when we look into this text, God doesn't place the responsibility to pass on the legacy of his stories on the church. He, pa- he gives the responsibility to, to mom and dad. And he says, you tell your kids. And then they tell their kids. And then the stories go on. And so I begin to think, well, what is it that's, that's going on? And I remember in my childhood, I was a church kid, was in church every time the doors were open. And I knew those stories. I knew these stories early in my life, even as a teenager. And so I thought, well, is that it? Is it because I was in church all the time? But I realized that's not it. That's not why I know the stories. The reason I know the stories go back uh, to one thing. I remember my parents when I was a l- really young. Uh, you guys, a lot of y'all in here still remember what an LP was, <laughs> uh, a big record player. We had, um, anybody have those record players, those stereos that look like a fake fireplace? You know, in your house, like your grandmother's house or something. You know what I'm talking about? It was like, looked like a fireplace and had the fake glowing logs in the bottom and you open the front. Oh, there's a stereo. Um, some of y'all are like, I don't even know. What is that? What's a stereo? What's a record player? Um, Anyway, they bought me this big, it was this box that had a big, like two records in it. And it had a big storybook in it. And it was a, it was a set of storybook Bibles that had a record that went along with it. And I remember as a kid going into our living room where that fake fireplace thing was and pulling that record player out, putting the records on that, sitting in a rocking chair as like, I mean, as early as five, six-year-old, and looking at that storybook. And it was laid out kind of like a comic book. And it had pictures. And the narrator on the record would tell the stories. And even before I was young enough, before I was old enough to read it on my own, I could look at the pictures and I could hear the record player tell the stories. And it had sound effects and it had the different voices. It was dramatized. It was awesome. And I would sit and listen to that over and over and over. And, and because those stories were great stories. That's where I heard the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Samson, and Daniel, and all of the great epic stories of the Bible. They were in this thing, in this record set. And it wasn't that my parents did any kind of deep theological training in me so that I knew the story. I just heard the stories. And I heard them more than once, and I heard them over and over. Now, and then as I grew, I began to understand the spiritual implications of what those stories meant. But I knew the stories. I knew the details, and it, and, and it was because my parents invested just a few dollars in, a, in something that, that really captured my attention. 
the primary responsibility for it is with mom and dad. And I, and, and I don't want the spirit of, of what I think God wants to say to us this morning to be in a spirit of condemnation. I, my, my desire is not to stand and point fingers at you saying you're bad if you don't read the Bible to your kids. Um, you would think that the youth pastor, the one that you trust to lead your kids, did that every day with my kids. Uh, I'll confess to you I don't. I'll confess to you that most of the time I spend more time in preparation for teaching your kids than I spend teaching my own. And that's, that hurts my heart. It breaks my heart that that is a pattern that I've allowed um, into my life. So please know, <laughs> there's no... Uh, there's not condemnation necessarily in what I'm saying, but what I want to say to you is I just want to remind us of the huge story that we are a part of. There are great stories that we love to read. We will sit and read. Are there any people here that like, you get the new book in a series and you read it in one day? Will you just, are you those people? Like, I wish I could be you. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. I can't sit and read anything for that long at one time. Um... There is a huge story going on that we are living in right now. And it's the story of God. And I heard Louis Giglio put it this way once, and I've never forgotten it. He said that there's the story of God that is going on. But what many of us do is that we live our lives as if we are living in the story of us. And if we're living the story of us, we are the lead role. We, We take the lead in the story of us. And, and what God allows us to do is to say, you can trade in your starring role in the story of you for a supporting role in the story of God. Because your story, if you're the star of your story, it's going to be over pretty quick. Your story isn't going to last very long. And in however many years, whatever God's established, it's going to be over and done. And the story of you is over But if you want to trade that role in and take one of those little small supporting role stories in this big story of God, what more epic of a story do you want to be a part of? Seriously, yours or his? Because his story isn't going to go away. It's not going to get old. It's going to last forever. That is the story that I want to be a part of. That's the story that I want my kids to be a part of. I want them to understand. And part of these stories that are in here directly tie into the story that we're living out right now. This is the story of God. This is the story of God. And what happens a thousand years from now is the story of God. I want my kids to be in that story. I want them to be enamored by that story and sucked into it. To where that's, that's the story that they live. You know what it's like to be in a movie or into a book and you are so sucked into it that you think you're in it. You so know what I'm talking about. Kim and, and some of her friends that, that read Karen Kingsbury's series about the Baxters, the Redemption series. I've heard them talk about the people. And I'll walk into a conversation and say, who are you talking about? And she's like, the Baxters. I'm like, who are they? She's talking about them like they're real people. And, uh, and, and Christy, I think, uh, Kevin's wife, even at one point said, I find myself when I say my prayers praying for the Baxter family. <laughs> well, they're not real. 
Why are you praying for people that aren't real? Because you are so immersed in the story. Because it's a great story. What, what greater story is there than this? Verse 8, when he says that they would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation whose hearts are not loyal to God and spirits are not faithful to Him. Folks, if we stop telling the story of God to our kids, this is what will happen. This is the generation that will come. And I don't want this generation and the generation after them to be characterized by verse 8 in this psalm at all. So what do we do? You're like, okay, what do we do? How do we fix it? I'm I'm not going to give you some big, deep theological thing. Let me just tell you some ways that we can stop this from happening. Is to take the responsibility to responsibility to share the story of God with our kids and our grandkids. Some of us have our kids here, and it's our it's our job. Some of you may think, "Well, my kids are grown, and I have grandkids now. I really wish somebody came to me after the services at eight thirty and said, you know what? I wish I had done that with my kids because I didn't.'" And I said, "Well, do you have grandkids?" And they said, "Yeah." I said, well, there's your chance. Hope, hope is not lost. You can still do that. If you're a grandparent, you guys tell the best stories ever. Sit down with your grandkids. Share the stories of the Bible with them. Share the biblical stories. Read the Bible to your kids. Have devotional time with them. And even if you don't go into the devotional part, just to sit and read the stories of the Bible is powerful. Speaking the word in your home and telling the stories of the people who have come before and encountered God, those are powerful stories. You don't have to preach a sermon to your kids. Just read them the story. Tell the stories in your own words. What if you knew the stories of the Bible so well that you could lay in your bed, lay in the bed with your kids at night and tell them the stories of the Bible without the Bible? Or even without a storybook? The greatest thing in the world is that my kids love, think it's great more than anything, is when I make up a story. Like, they like it if I read a book or something. But if I, like, just make up a story for them and just tell it without anything, they think that's the greatest thing in the world. What if you knew the stories of the Bible so well that you could tell them to your kids without anything like that? Don't rely on the church. Okay? Our job is to partner with you in that effort. And to help you and come alongside you and give you tools, which I'm going to tell you about in just a few minutes. Help give you tools to begin to do this in your home, but don't rely on us. The amount of time and hours that your kids spend here with our teachers, who are the most amazing teachers on the planet, I'll just say. Every one of our volunteers in our children and youth ministry are amazing, awesome, and and we're so grateful for them. But do not let, do not place the responsibility of teaching the whole story of God to your kids on your kids' teachers. Because God didn't do that. We're responsible, but there's a greater responsibility that we as parents carry. And then, um, for even for smaller kids, get a, get a book. You don't have to get your King James Version out and read to your kids. Because they'll shut you off really quick. Get a, um, I'm going to show you this book. Get a book like this. This is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is written by a lady named Sally Lloyd-Jones. I, I'm, um, 
this isn't a commercial. I'm not getting paid to tell you all about this book at all. Um, but I came across this book uh, several years ago. And uh, it's, it's the most well-written Bible story book I have ever seen. Um, the illustrations are beautiful. And there's, a, there's an introduction at the beginning of it that I want to read to you that helps us understand what kind of story it is that we are a part of. This big epic God story. I want you to read how Sally Lloyd-Jones introduces the story of the Bible. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules. Or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, it's true. There's a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait. Our story starts where all good stories start. Right at the very beginning. And then she introduces the creation story. That's really true, folks. Every story that's in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. And the reason I, I love this book so much as a tool is because it, it does that. When you read any of these stories to your kids, at the end of the story, it always goes back to Jesus. The Old Testament stories foreshadow the coming of Jesus. The New Testament stories reflect on the nature and the person of Jesus. Find a resource like this to, to use with your kids. And not just to share these stories, but share your personal stories of God. The Bible is full of miracles, failure, redemption, protection, provision. And so is your life. There are stories that God wants to pa- you to pass on to your children that aren't written in this book. They're the stories of what he's done in you. The stories of what he's done in your life. The stories of people that you've come across that he has done miracles for. That nobody will ever read about in a book or see in a movie. And the greatest story that you can ever tell your children is the story of when God rescued you. Do not neglect to tell your kids how Jesus came to rescue you. There's a quick story that makes this book kind of special for me. Um, 
we got this book a few months ago and, and decided I was going to read it to Rob. Rob is our four-year-old. And I was just going to read it, and it was going to be our bedtime story for as long as it is. There's about 40-plus stories in this book. And as I began reading it, we went through all the Old Testament, and he, he was always very, very excited when it came time, and he wouldn't go to sleep until I had read the next story to him. But when we got to the New Testament stories, the story of He is Here, which is the story of Jesus coming, um, Mary and Joseph, and Jesus being born, when the angel comes to Mary and begins to tell Mary what is going to happen in her, this is what the story says. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just one word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? And at that moment, Rob stops me and says, wait a minute. So I stop and say, what is it? How is, how is he going to rescue the world with a baby? <laughs> and then before I could come up with an answer for him, he answered his own question without knowing it. He said, is he going to grow him up to be a rescue man? And after I giggled, I thought, and I stopped and I said, baby, that's exactly what he's going to do. And the picture, the picture of the little baby, we looked at it and I said, that little baby is going to grow up to be Jesus. And Jesus is going to be the rescue man. He's going to be the one to save the whole world. And he was good with that. And he said, and he just kind of was like, wow. You don't, you don't have moments like that with movies or other things. Bow your heads with me. Our invitation today is... is um, it's very much directed toward families. If, you, if you're here this morning and, and, and the Lord is, has kind of shown maybe a, a lack of storytelling in your house, not that, not that you don't watch movies and read books, but that the stories of God maybe aren't as big a part of the storytelling in your house as you wish it was, as, you, as, as God wishes it was, and you want to renew that and you want to make a commitment today, it may be that families, mom and dad, you may want to come forward and pray and, and make a commitment to God that you're going to make the stories, you're going to make his story the primary story in your home, that you're going to tell your kids the stories of the Bible because you want them to not forget who he is, that you want them to keep his commands. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you're thinking, man, I wish I had done that with my kids and I didn't, but I sure do love my grandkids. And I want, to, I want to see that develop in my grandchildren. 
And maybe you just want to come and pray over your family. You want to pray over your kids and over your grandkids. And tell God that you want to be a storyteller to your kids. You want to be one to tell them the story. And maybe you don't have any children. Maybe you're a young person and you're thinking, well, I don't have any kids to tell a story to. Yeah, but you've got friends. You've got people that you come in contact with every day who they, they love a great story. And what greater story can you share with them than your rescue story? Somebody saved your life 